This episode is brought to you by Columbia Care. Recently, we've been trying out Platinum CBD from Columbia Care. Columbia Care have brought their expertise in CBD from the US to create a sophisticated CBD wellness range for the UK, including both peppermint and unflavored CBD oil, as well as easy to take soft gel capsules. All of the range is free from THC, is vegan friendly and 100% organic and backed with scientific research to ensure you get a premium CBD product every time. CBD can help with sleep, pain, anxiety, mood, inflammation, gut issues, brain fog, and so much more. And it's really simple. You can either drop the required dose of CBD oil on your tongue and hold for 30 seconds, or take one soft gel CBD capsule at a time of day that suits you. Yes, and I find I'm most anxious at bedtime, so I've been taking it then. The instruction card is so easy to follow and highlights that there aren't set rules. You can take this in the dosage and time that works for you and your lifestyle. So use code BOOKRECOS20 for 20% offline at coal-care.uk. That's BOOKRECOS20 at col-care.uk. Welcome to BOOKRECOS Between the Pages. I'm Jess. And I'm Lauren, and we're the pals behind Book Crackers. This is the podcast where we chat all things books and just about everything in between. Today, we are diving into My Body, the new book by Emily Ratajkowski, who, if you don't know, is an acclaimed model and actress, business owner, and global social media phenomenon. My Body is a collection of essays exploring feminism, sexuality, and power, as well as men's treatment of women and women's rationalizations for accepting that treatment. It's a good one. Uh, Lauren, before we begin, mm-hmm. I have to tell you how joyous my experience of receiving this book was. I mean, Ooh. also reading, but receiving <laughs> was really quite a joy. What do you mean? Well, <laughs> you know, well, you you know about Bob, my postman, and for listeners, I, know I well. have mentioned him in an episode in the past. He's an absolute legend. Knows to like put your post in the garden if you're out. Like he's he's a great guy, and. He just hasn't been coming around. I said to my boyfriend, I was like, where is Bob? Is Bob okay? What if something really bad has happened to Bob? And we were out on a walk and I saw him in his van and I literally (laughs) screamed, it's Bob, and waved. And he waved back and I was like, okay, he's alive. Why doesn't he come to my house anymore? And then at 11 a.m., not the usual posty slot. They usually come between one and two. Answered the door. So I was already a bit surprised when it was a postman. And it was Bob. And I literally screamed, Bob, you're back. <laughs> and he was like, oh, yeah. And basically, he's been put on a different route. But this was posted by special delivery from Quarkus. And apparently, my new postman doesn't do special delivery. So I said to Bob, oh, Crazy. okay. So I just need to order things on special delivery to see you. And he was like, yeah. oh, yes. And I was like, you joke. But how else? We, like, So I, we always said we're going to get him a Christmas present. So now I'm going to have to order it on special delivery so he can deliver it. He can it deliver then, it and you can give it back And then to give it back. <laughs> so Bob. I was already very excited and then opened it and it was this book, which I've been absolutely buzzing for. So it was a great day all round and it wasn't even midday. We love it. And I we love, love that it. Bob's gone a bit rogue. He's so rogue. He's all about <laughs> town now. <laughs> anyway, like we so often do, We're going to kick off properly with an audio clip from the book. 
When it was released in the summer of 2020, Megan Thee Stallion and Cardi B's viral single and music video WAP, an acronym for Wet Ass Pussy, exploded, receiving 25.5 million views within 24 hours and debuting at number one on the U.S. and global charts, becoming the first female collaboration ever to do so. Soon after, the internet was consumed with a debate about the hypersexual aspects of the lyrics and video. Many cultural commentators praised the song as a sex-positive anthem and claimed that, in rapping about explicit sexual details and their desires, Cardi and Megan were asserting their agency and enacting an overdue role reversal. Others argued that the song and video were setting feminism back a hundred years. The last time a music video sparked such a heated debate around women's empowerment and sexuality was in 2013, with Blurred Lines, co-written and performed by Robin Thicke, Pharrell, and T.I. The video featured three women dancing around almost completely naked. I was one of those women. Blurred Lines propelled me to overnight fame at age 21. To date, the censored version, which partially conceals our nakedness, received approximately 721 million views on YouTube, and the song is one of the best-selling singles of all time. The uncensored version was removed from YouTube soon after its release, citing violations of the site's terms of service. It was restored and then taken down again, only adding to its controversial allure. I, and more specifically, the politics of my body were suddenly being discussed and dissected across the globe by feminist thinkers and teenage boys alike. Critics condemned the video as eye-poppingly misogynistic because of the way my fellow models and I were objectified. When the press asked me for my position on the video, I surprised the world by answering that I didn't feel it was anti-feminist at all. I told reporters that I thought women would, or at least should, find my performance empowering. My statements about blurred lines came in the era of the feminist blogosphere, of lean-in and headlines such as why women still can't have it all on the cover of major magazines, but before the popular embrace of the term feminist, before Beyonce danced in front of a giant neon feminist sign, and before fast fashion companies began selling feminist t-shirts. Many were outraged that the naked girl from the viral music video had dared to call herself a feminist, while others, mostly younger women, found my perspective refreshing. I argued that I felt confident in my body and my nakedness, and who was anyone to tell me that I wasn't empowered by dancing around naked? In fact, wasn't it anti-woman to try to tell me what to do with my body? Feminism is all about choice, I reminded the world, so stop trying to control me. A few years after Blurred Lines, I wrote an essay entitled Baby Woman about growing up and the shaming I'd experienced around my sexuality and developing body. Even as a working model and actress, I claimed that I hadn't experienced the sense of humiliation I'd felt when my middle school teacher snapped my bra strap to scold me for letting it slip out from beneath my tank top. To me, girls sexualizing themselves wasn't the issue, as feminists and anti-feminists would have us believe, but shaming them was. Why were we the ones being asked to adjust, to cover up and apologize for our bodies? I was tired of feeling guilty for the way I presented myself. My perspective was the result of an adolescence filled with mixed signals related to my developing body and sexuality. At 13, I'd been confused when my father quietly suggested that I not dress like that just for tonight, when my parents and I were getting ready to go out to a nice restaurant. I looked down at the pink lacy top and push-up bra I wore. My mother always told me to take pleasure in the way I looked, and this particular ensemble brought me validating attention from both adult men on the street and my peers at school. 
Suddenly, I felt embarrassed by the very thing that was also a source of pride. I hadn't understood the time when my cousin, who was nearly 20 years my senior, came rushing into her living room, breathless, after leaving me alone with her male friend for a few minutes. I didn't understand what she was afraid of, although I already instinctively knew what her friend's body language meant. The way he reclined back on the couch, his hips jutting forward and his mouth forming a crooked, inviting smile. I was a child, but somehow already an expert in detecting male desire, even if I didn't completely understand what to make of it. Was it a good thing? Something to be afraid of? Something to be ashamed of? It seemed to be all these things at once. I end Baby Woman with an exchange I had with a drawing teacher after my first year of art school. As I showed him a charcoal nude of mine, he suggested, why not draw a woman with a waist so small she falls over and cannot stand up? He advised me either to play into the stereotypes of the beauty standard or to show its oppression. I didn't want to believe that it was so stark, that those were my only two options. For most of my life, I thought of myself as savvy, a hustler. I understood that I had a commodifiable asset, something that the world valued, and I was proud to have built a life and career off my body. All women are objectified and sexualized to some degree, I figured, so I might as well do it on my own terms. I thought that there was power in my ability to choose to do so. Today I read that essay and look at interviews from that period of my life and feel a tenderness towards my younger self. My defensiveness and defiance are palpable to me now. What I wrote and preached then reflected what I believed at the time, but it missed a much more complicated picture. In many ways, I have been undeniably rewarded by capitalizing on my sexuality. I became internationally recognizable, amassed an audience of millions, and have made more money through endorsements and fashion campaigns than my parents, an English professor and a painting teacher, ever dreamed of earning in their lifetimes. I built a platform by sharing images of myself and my body online, making my body and subsequently my name recognizable, which, at least in part, gave me the ability to publish this book. But in other, less overt ways, I felt objectified and limited by my position in the world as a so-called sex symbol. I've capitalized on my body within the confines of a cis-hetero, capitalist, patriarchal world, one in which beauty and sex appeal are valued solely through the satisfaction of the male gaze. Whatever influence and status I've gained were only granted to me because I appealed to men. My position brought me in close proximity to wealth and power and brought me some autonomy, but it hasn't resulted in true empowerment. That's something I've gained only now, having written these essays and given voice to what I've thought and experienced. This book is full of the ideas and realities that I was unwilling to face, or perhaps incapable of facing, earlier in life. I had made a practice of dismissing experiences that were painful or incongruent with what I wanted to believe, that I was the living testament of a woman empowered through commodifying her image and body. Facing the more nuanced reality of my position was a difficult awakening, brutal and shattering to an identity and a narrative I desperately clung to. I was forced to face some ugly truths about what I understood as important, what I thought love was, what I believed made me special, and to confront the reality of my relationship with my body. I'm still grappling with how I feel about sexuality and empowerment. The purpose of this book is not to arrive at answers, but to honestly explore ideas I can't help but return to. I aim to examine the various mirrors in which I've seen myself. Men's eyes, 
other women I've compared myself to, and the countless images that have been taken of me. These essays chronicle the deeply personal experiences and subsequent awakening that defined my 20s and transformed my beliefs and politics. So I don't know if you read it, Lauren, or like remember, but last year she wrote a piece called Buying Myself Back for um, The Cut in New York Magazine. And reading that last year stayed with me and it's what made me want to read this book. So we'll put a link in the show notes. Um, It definitely paves the way for this book and it Mm. touches on how uh, Pap tried to sue her for posting a pic of herself on her Insta that they took. A photographer used her image in a series called Instagram paintings and like who owns those pictures of her, Um, how a naked picture she took for a loved one got leaked and then how a nasty photographer sold a book of her photos and she couldn't shut it down and it's been reprinted three times. Um, And then actually the whole essay is a chapter (laughs) chapter in this book. So I was like, Mm. oh, okay, I get to reread it, Um, which I guess, well, if you've already written it, why rewrite it? Just include yeah, totally. it because it went down so well. And I th- and and I think that's why what spurred her on, like she was just writing these essays at home, and then got to the point where she was like, "Hmm, I don't want to write a memoir, but maybe I could write this. Could be something." So just continued writing little essays, and then it's turned into what this is. But um, I didn't know. I I hadn't read that piece for the car. Oh, okay. But. Um, I do now know that it was the magazine's most read article of the whole year and had over 1 million reads in one out in uh, 24 hours. Yeah. I was one of them. I read it straight away. Yeah. Um, But for anyone at home, not sure who Emily Ratajkowski is, she's a model, actress, entrepreneur, and now writer. She starred in Gone Girl, appeared on the covers of pretty much all of the glossy mags and runways for all of the fashion houses and perhaps the moment that sparked her career aflame was appearing in the blurred lines music video with robin thick and pharrell williams so on to the book lauren mm. want to drop the synop i'd love to <laughs> um so as we've already said these are a collection of essays uh, which chronicle moments from Ratajkowski's life while investigating the fetishization of women's beauty, the obsession with and contempt for their sexuality, and the perverse dynamics of the fashion and film industries and the grey area between consent and abuse. And on that note, we should probably say there are quite a few trigger warnings around abuse and sexual misconduct in this book. Um, yeah. So please go in that Yeah. Um, please do bear that in mind if you are going to read it. Yeah, good shout. Um, I have been, actually, I've been listening to a lot of interviews of her on podcasts and none of them have contained um, content warning. She'd just say it and I'm like, oh, yeah. should we not have put that at the beginning <laughs> to, mind, mm. to like warn people? But I have really enjoyed listening to um, all these various interviews with her. And on one of them, she mentioned um, that she could only imagine having this book as essays it just wouldn't have worked in like say a, a memoir format um and I loved how that we could touch on all these different stages of her life and get all these little insights and that we can like bounce around the timeline in these essays I just thought it was so clever um did did you have a favorite essay I think my favorite chapter was actually the blurred lines oh. um essay because it just blew my mind for so many reasons because it was mainly I think because 
when we look at celebrities or it's certainly when I do or public figures like Emily um, we sort of assume that they've got these perfect lives with absolutely no worries they're you know have more money than they could dream of and just fill their days with like incredible experiences and hanging out with really cool people Um, but in this chapter she just really revealed just what a toxic environment the whole thing was. And as soon as the celebrities, or I should say, as soon as the men, Robin Thicke and Pharrell Williams arrived, um, the whole dynamic of the film, of the music video shoot just changed. And I actually watched the Blurred Lines video after reading the chapter. And it's completely different. It's a completely different experience, viewing experience when you watch it afterwards, isn't it? Because you're, because you know all of this background knowledge of what was actually happening on set and how the models were being treated. Um, so you just sort of, there's, it's, you read between the lines more what's happening on do you see what I did yeah there? yeah very blurred lines there Lauren and it um so again in one of the podcasts I was listening to she was she was highlighted the book and she does actually like the director was a woman and they were giving the yeah. models choice they were like what do you want to wear what props do you want to use and she said like as a model you just usually come and they tell you exactly what you want they want so she was like having a great time because yeah they actually had loads of choice she chose the outfit she wore she chose the big foam finger and then actually, yeah, as you said, like the men came and they were like, okay, this is a very different vibe. And then, yeah, I immediately mm-hmm. watched the Bloodlines video and I was like, this is not how I remember it. Like, I do remember it when it first came out and everyone was talking about it and it seemed yeah. really fun. And I also remember they had like um, the Beats pill. Yeah. They were, oh they were, my God, and then yeah. It, but it wasn't in the video when I watched it this time around. So I don't know if maybe that was just an advert and my memory's blurred. It's blood. Maybe it was just <laughs> maybe it was just an advert, and we yeah, saw it on telly. But I definitely and it was just that. everywhere, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, and there was the uncut version, or sorry, the uncensored version. I still where haven't they seen were that all one. Naked. I haven't seen that one, but um, that was then taken down from YouTube, and that in itself was it was like taken down, then put back up, then taken yeah. down again. She sort of talks about how that in itself made this massive buzz around the video, and. Um, and and sparked her career really yeah well in the first few pages of the book she then mentions the bird lines music video and I was like oh shit hang on wasn't she in that and like yeah. it, it kind of slipped from my memory and then like reading yeah. about it, how it literally propelled her to fame yeah it's just absolutely bonkers but um in one of bonkers. these interviews <laughs> blurred lines bonkers um in one of these interviews she she said that she nearly didn't include it in the book and especially not that she wow. revealed how Robin Thicke like touches her breast because that's the first time that's come out and now there's loads of articles and loads yeah. of people tagging her off like well what did she expect like it's so ridiculous, it is ridiculous. I'm, I'm glad she did include it firstly because it is such a big part of her story and now mm. to reveal this like even darker element it's like oh wow God, yeah wow yeah and yeah anyway what was your favorite essay then Jess mine was um an essay called men like you and it starts with a redacted email that was sent to her manager and this guy is like uh praising her in all these different ways and then actually she kind of goes back and it's like kind of her reply to him not her actual Mm. reply but in this book she's replying to him and she's um calling oh, him out not from... actually replied to him I thought that, that's had. not the vibe I got no this is her reply oh. to him um 
like so the email from him comes and then she says hi Steve here's one of my favorite quotes from an interview you gave and so then she's going back to interviews he's given in the past where she, he's basically slagging her off yeah and like now he's trying to kiss her ass because she's so successful and she's like mm, yeah no I remember all these and she gives lots of insights into how he was just like really weird and all these other things and it's like it's I've and just he was found also it 30 years older than her yeah so he's about 50 at the time that they first met and yeah. old enough to be her dad yeah and like knew that that was wrong in itself but still did it and she even says like I don't know if it was worse that he knew that it was weird or if he acknowledged like she couldn't work out what was weirder him yeah, knowing yeah. that it was bad or not knowing Being and absolutely oblivious yeah yeah but it was um I really enjoyed the format of it and I thought it was so yeah, cool same. to like start it that way and then kind of reply to him. But then there was also mm. a few quotes that I was like, oh my God, wow. Um, so one of them, she talks about um, this girl who got scouted when she was a teenager. And this was like way back when, I think 1913, really early on. And um, <laughs> not, in Emily's she, <laughs> not in Emily's lifetime or ours. And um she because she had this perfect figure loads of sculptors and artists used her as a muse and then she said less than two decades later she attempted suicide and at the age of 40 she was committed to a psychiatric hospital she lived out the rest of her life there died at the age of 106 and I just thought fuck that's really old to die and to have been in a psychiatric unit that long oh my god and then the quote was I suppose this is the life cycle of a muse get discovered be immortalized in art for which you're never paid and die in obscurity yeah and I just thought considering how much of Emily's story is about her being used in art and not having power or say about it yeah I was like oh my god I hope you don't think you're gonna die in obscurity like yeah really sad yeah and then another quote because in his email he mentions that she's a mother as though like oh now you're worthy of my respect Mm. because you're a mother and she said how funny that men view the life cycles of women so simply from se- sex object to mother to what? Invisibility? Yeah. So God, good. there were just so many parts of this book that made me stop and think. And I would have to just put the book down and process what she was saying because they are just absolutely just so um, like everyday things that happen and you don't even pick up anymore yeah. as a woman. And I, I, that, that essay I loved too. And I just remember thinking that I hope Steve feels like an absolute worm <laughs> now that this book is out and he gets, and he gets to see just how wrong he was about her. Yeah. Um, and he just, he clearly just misjudged her and stereotyped her as some airhead model um, who was nothing more than somebody who was nice to look at. Um, but there's a line in that same essay where she says, where is it? Um, she says, I wonder how many women you've disregarded in your life written off because you assumed they had nothing to offer beyond the way they looked. And I just thought that was such a powerful thing to say, because what is so clear is she is an incredibly smart woman Mm. and it must be very irritating for her to have this level of fame, this level of beauty, where she's just known for her beauty and the way she looks, but then everybody to meet. She she mentions a few examples where she's like at parties with her husband and she just knows that she is going to be interpreted as just... The sexy um, wife. 
the sexy wife that's yeah. it, like hanging off his arm and you know um no, no one of interest other than someone nice to look at yeah so I have I've followed Emily's career for years I always read interviews that she does and so I know actually she's super intelligent and like mm. how important her politics are to her um Got but you. when I was reading this it kind of reminded me how in our um climate change episode which was uh called destroy the patriarchy not the planet if you want to go and listen to it um we were talking about lily cole the model's book yes. uh, what's what's it called again um how to be an optimist is that what how it's called to, yeah reasons to be an optimist or something like that <laughs> it, it Reas- was a good reasons book. for optimism isn't it? I don't think that's what it's called it is that's it the title and then there's a subtitle that's something about the planet okay Lily Cole's <laughs> book in if you go and listen to the episode we say I didn't realize she did all of this I thought she was just a model yeah and like how often does that happen to models yeah I thought she was just a model yeah like god yeah but yeah like you and- wouldn't say that about any other career well you probably would but for most other careers like you and I you wouldn't be like oh I thought she was just an events person or just a marketer (laughs) you wouldn't say that but why is it you just you do you would think that about a model at least we that's that's what we thought yeah but um like I said I I I knew that Emily was already very Mm. smart and clever and like she's very knowledgeable about art and all these and all these things and um I just, but reading this, I didn't realize like what a hustler she is. Like for her, every single thing comes back to earning money, which is like really great and open for her to admit in this book. And like, there are times when they're talking about like $80,000 and she's like, that's still a really, really big chunk of money for me. Like she's now Mm -hmm. so successful, but she still doesn't feel like she's one of these mega rich people. And she just like she she talks about how she like had a pile of clothes in the back of her car and she'd always change it she'd drive around here there and everywhere and like I loved how dedicated and hardworking she was but I also really realized that because of that she just puts herself in some scary situations and I just felt a bit haunted reading some of them like when she goes to Coachella and oh god that broke my heart they get paid to go to Coachella and um you know, then like certain things are expected of them and like em- Emily doesn't, but there's this one girl who, she was talking about it with um, Olivia Petters on the Millennial Love podcast. Side mm-hmm. note, we talk about Millennial Love in our Love in Nonfiction episode, if you haven't listened to that. Anyway, Great book. Um, and like talking about it with Olivia made me realize even more. There's this girl that they're with and they're all trying to sleep and he's like, go and do that thing we talked about. And then she runs off into the jacuzzi with the prince going, mm-hmm. jacuzzi time. And it's like, oh yeah. God, like, it's, it's really scary. And she talks about, she gives so much insight into yeah. Hollywood and it's and how fucking terrifying. It like there yeah. are rich people that would just pay celebrities to be around them to make themselves look better. And club promoters would invite loads of models to dinner first because they were struggling models and would have taken them up on a free meal. Yeah. And then they'd lure them to club and get them to spend time with all these men. And I was like, Fuck, I read a bit, I felt a bit like reading some sort of um reading like an expose. Yeah. I was like, fuck me. Because a lot of these guys are mentioned by name as well. Yeah. And obviously it's gone through a lot of legal approvals yeah. to make sure that she can't get sued for that. Um, so it's clearly just information that's yeah. that's true. And so how like 
scary that I mean she has got to where she is today and she's earned her money and she keeps talking about how her parents are teachers she can't just fall back on her rich parents for help she had to earn her keep so she'd put herself into these really scary situations yeah like um where she like that guy paid her 25k to just go to the Super Bowl with her yeah with him fucking hell but yeah I really I love her her work ethic and I love how much that came through in this book Mm. I listened to her is on a on um, Emma Gannon's Control yeah. or Delete podcast, and she talks a lot about how she well she calls herself multi hyphenated, which sort of goes back to our well, um, my thought that she was just a model, um, but it's a topic which Emma Gannon is obviously very familiar with, and some uh, and something she explored in her book The Multi Hyphen Method, which I read last year. And I think I mentioned it in our How Do We Know We're Doing It Right podcast episode. I think you did. Yeah. Um, go me for remembering. Anyways, <laughs> she, she talked about how she's lots of things. She's a model, she's an entrepreneur, she's an actor, writer, etc. But because her career started in modelling, she feels like she's got more to prove because culturally or, culturally yeah. or societally, People want to bucket her, as we were just saying, as just a model or and someone whose existence is based entirely on her looks. But I found her hustler mentality just so inspiring. And there was a part in the book where she and her friend who she started the bikini business with, um, her friend said something about her partner who was really successful in real estate or, you know, a successful businessman. And he was asking her about this new venture that her and Emily had just set up and was asking her about it. And she just said she completely dismissed him because she didn't want him or anyone thinking that it was cute. And what they were doing was just like, oh, that's really cute. Like, um, she wanted to wait until they were making like a fuck ton of money and were really successful before she felt she could tell anyone. And I just thought that was fascinating and infuriating in equal measures because if the shoe was on the other foot, like we applaud men or society applauds men for being entrepreneurs and going off and starting their own business. Mm. But the same language isn't used when it is, when it refers to a woman who started a small business and we're much quicker to just call it, Oh, she's got a side hustle or, Oh, she's a small business owner. Um, she's not an entrepreneur. Yeah. So true. Look to devalue it. Yeah. And obviously it's not quite the same because book recos isn't it's yeah. not it's not a business but I've have found so often with friends these are people I call my friends will, will talk to me about book recos and I can see they're trying to diminish it or yeah. be like and trying to like I don't know make me feel a bit embarrassed about embarrassed it and, I, by it, and yeah. I think at first I like kind of let them and we'll be like oh you know like it is so fun it means I get to talk to Lauren every single day and mm. um, we love reading anyways it's just a really fun thing to do those things are all true but Hello, Lauren. We we are now reading amazing books like this one before they are released. And that is exactly what we wanted. And that is an achievement. And so I've just had it up to here with these friends of mine. And I just get, <laughs> and now they just get rude Jess coming back to them. Like, don't hate me because you ain't me. I read a book that's not out for a month. <laughs> I've had it up to here. That was the whenever my mum said that to me when I was growing up, I, I knew she'd, I knew I 
really she was at her last yeah you don't want it up to here (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> don't even want it down here yeah um, no, but you don't it, want it anywhere no I totally agree with you and even you mentioning that makes me feel awkward because I'm like oh I don't want people to do you know what I mean it just makes yeah. me feel a little bit awkward but, but we shouldn't damn right like it's something to be proud of yeah but that is just sort of um a, a societal um indoctrination that yeah, we're just taught as, to brush women it it's yeah it's you're meant to downplay your achievements yeah anyway I'm gonna um get off my soapbox <laughs> because um you mentioned her on the Emma Gannon podcast uh, control or delete podcast by Emma Gannon um and I listened to it as well and I, I think it was that one I've listened to quite a lot of interviews with her recently but she mm-hmm. um she mentioned how she wrote the Brit. So there's a chapter that's like about Britney Spears, not just about Britney Spears, but it calls on Britney Spears. Mm. And I, I, when I saw that, I was like, oh, here we go, jumping on the Britney bandwagon. And actually, she wrote it before the recent documentary. So yeah, I had to eat my words. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I, I thought that chapter was just so interesting and how she even said like the downfall of Britney should have been a warning sign or a red flag to her but she was just too young and naive to really see it yeah for what it was and what um how she could just as easily have fallen into yeah. that same trap like when she pulled out some of Britney's lyrics oh, and God, they like yeah. totally also applied to her. and also they just seem so sinister when they're not being sung to a jazzy tune yeah yeah really dark um I also really loved the questions and commentary she provided over who holds the power in certain dynamic in certain power dynamics so for example when a woman uh she she mentions quite a few examples where women are earning money from their bodies because that's something that she obviously does and she mentions like Kim K who rose to fame because a sex tape was released, which exposed her body. But now she's like one of, well, she's one of the most richest and successful women in our society. And she challenges, Emily Ratajkowski challenges, when Kim takes her clothes off or uploads a picture of her butt, is she actually just taking the power back and profiting from her body or is that value and power at the hands of men in industries which deem her body beautiful, which then allows her to profit from it? Mm. And it's just questions like that, like not even questions. It, she's just presenting you with yeah. the information from both sides to be like, these are the issues. Now form your own opinion and have your own conversations. Yeah, yeah she's she, she I mean, she says it kind of outright at the beginning. She's not trying to make a point here and make a stand she's just yeah. sharing the information that she knows it's not up to her to define what any of this is and she's not trying yeah. to she's presenting bits of her story and the th- and the thoughts she has about all these yeah. scenarios yeah I um I do love a little and like she mentioning the um Kim K sex tape and then she also yeah. there's a whole chapter that's uh, it's titled Pamela isn't it about Pamela Anderson yeah, Pamela and Anderson. it's just Oh, it's so good. <laughs> so many cool case studies in it and things like that. Yeah. Um, and I'm just like so glad we buddy read this one together because it's a book that you definitely need to yeah. read and then be able to talk to someone about it afterwards. Like yeah. even after reading it, um, reading it, like I've said so many times, I've got to listen to all these different podcasts because yeah. I just wanted to hear more about it and like about her process of writing it and things. Um, another mm. one 
I haven't no I haven't mentioned it yet um she was on the table manners podcast big fan of that we talked about it in our taste by Stanley Tucci podcast episode um but she shares a bit of insight about her mother well in the book I'll I'll go on to it but in this podcast episode she says the line about her parents being in their 70s and then she corrected herself and said well my mum is turning 70 and if I hadn't read the book I would not have picked up on maybe why she did that but actually reading about Ah. her mum in the book I was like oh she's probably done that for a reason Oh my God. Yeah, you're right. So right. Because she recalled a memory at one point in the book where she mentioned how her mum felt invisible to men now. Well, as soon as she got gray hair, because she felt like men don't see her anymore when she yeah. walks down the street. So clearly she's not happy about aging. Clearly her mum does not get put across well in this opening. Oh, chapter. she doesn't. So the first or- chapter is a little it's like a collection of just like random memories from her childhood and it's called beauty Mm. lessons and she's slagging off her mum her mum is like her mum is rude as well her mum is like kind of jealous of Emily's beauty because she's also a beautiful woman by the sounds of things and I found that really bizarre I can't ever imagine a world where my mum wouldn't be happy about things that are good for me or whatever like yeah. I just I was yeah. I read it feeling really toxic but it's you read same. you read the whole thing and you see that actually like she's an only child her parents are such a big part of who she is and like her existence but yeah her, I <laughs> then like I would never have picked up on that table manners line if I yeah. hadn't read this book and like her mum is clearly man, not manipulated that's not the right word but like made Emily maybe phrase things in a certain way for yeah. her mum and mm. really yeah I always think when I read books like this and I know it's not a memoir but it is based on her real life yeah um how obviously there's a process when you do mention somebody in a book and it is based on real life you have to send it to that person mm. and make sure that they're happy with it I actually remember thinking when reading this like oh god I wonder what her parents thought when they were sent this like were they happy with how they were portrayed were they aware of how um dependent at codependent they are on each other Um, and and with their child yeah um yeah I just found it really interesting I mean there was just so much that I found so interesting about this book and one of the things actually that I um found really refreshing and I wasn't expecting at all goes back to what was said before about the the power balance that she meant um that she sort of tackles here and throughout the whole book she's not just lifting off listing off all the um ways that society's done her dirty and how men are all shit or how she's called men like Steve out for being sexist or inappropriate but she also talks about the times where she's been complicit in aging people yeah. like Steve and Robin Thicke who treated her like a piece of me and like a piece of meat sorry and she allowed them to do so and at times was almost proud that that's the reaction she incited from them which is a really fucked up thing to admit but it goes back to the power balance that she it, she 
she's tackling here and what power actually looks like yeah she or a woman admits a lot of things I was like fuck I don't think I would admit that like how obsessed she is with the likes she gets on Instagram and how she refreshes them like I kind of assumed that when you're getting a million likes on a photo you don't really care because you're getting a million likes on a photo but actually she admits that she'll like refresh it and she gets a real adrenaline rush rush. when she uploads a picture and I was like Mm. brave of you to admit a lot of people wouldn't admit that yeah and like how she gets a little thrill when she's told to strip when she goes for a a casting and she gets a little thrill from whoever's looking at her the reactions on their face and like if they raise their eyebrows or do a little smirk because and what's really clear is she's very happy with her body yeah she's she she's got um, every reason to be (laughs) oh my god yeah um and she knows she's a beautiful woman um so for her and she's just using it to make money yeah exactly and more she was like I've got it flaunt it that's how I'm gonna make my money because she is a hustler as we said I can and it's an easy way for her to make money as well and it wasn't she even says in the book I don't particularly like modeling I don't you know it's not something I really enjoy doing I just love how easy it is for me to make money from it yeah well power to you Emily Mm. she um speaking of you know the power and stuff she yeah she's a control freak just like me she like yeah. likes to be in control of everything but and her body is a way for her to be in control yeah. and and so when she mentions um that casting that's in my favorite essay where she um talks about how she was he she was nearly written off and then like she kind of she just says one thing like oh I love that movie about a poster and it like distracts him and she and yeah. then he ends up like booking her for the job because he was yeah. like oh you're not just a dumb model and like yeah. she all she, she knew what she was doing she was like oh I know what I have to do here I have to mm-hmm. engage in conversation and this is all going to flip around exactly how I want it she knows exactly how to get what she wants and I think that's yeah, she's so smart. clever she's also I don't know if I truly believe some bits when she talks about like her teenage life she makes a lot of observations and it makes it come across as she was like super observant and maybe she was, but I know that at that age, I'm only now, now that I'm older and I can yeah. think back about memories, I'm, I'm able to observe them in a certain way. And I'm like, Oh, yeah. hang on. and I wondered if at the time, was she that observant or is it now that she's older? Because I definitely yeah. wasn't when I was what? being a yeah, dumb teenager, <laughs> you know, yeah, we were just living our lives. It was just normal because you thought you were an adult and you thought you had, you know, really grown up. Yeah. But now she makes, you know, she's able to kind of look back on things and stuff. And I really liked how the book ended with her birth story of giving birth to her Mm. son. And it's like a loss of control for her body because you don't get to choose when you give birth, how you give birth quite often, how you go wrong. Yeah. And so I thought that's really clever. And also the fact that like, I Carrying a human and giving birth to a human is probably the coolest thing about women's bodies. So uh, to end it that way, I thought was perfect ending to this book. Totally. Um, And so question I have, Jess, for you is my favourite part of our Have you thought of your own answer? (laughs) I have. (laughs) (laughs) What's your favourite quote from the book? Okay. Well, I shared two already, so I won't say one of those. There are more yeah. tabs in my book. I think there was one at near the beginning. Yeah, no, th- so this probably wasn't my favourite quote, but it really 
resonated with me and I was like shit Mm. I actually put the book down for a bit and had a think because it's um as we said her mum was very beautiful and uh her mum got given a compliment and she said thank you and her dad said he told my mother that it was inappropriate for her to say thank you when people told her she was beautiful he didn't feel she had accomplished anything what have you done he would ask nothing you've done nothing and I really struggled to accept compliments in mm. any area of my life I like your dress thanks top shop 20 22 pounds like can't can't what just be that? like thanks I really love my dress too that's why yeah, I bought too. it <laughs> or you did a really great piece of work oh my god it was team effort team effort like I really can't yeah. accept compliments myself and I think it kind of comes back to me thinking like I haven't earned it like mm. I haven't done anything I just bought a dress or I was part yeah. of a project team like I I was it on my own yeah and I think again that's why I can't really accept compliments for my looks ever I'll be Mm. like oh I washed my hair (laughs) 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 which is quite often the truth uh that that is the only reason I look nice but like I really I was like fuck yeah that that is maybe what it all comes down to that I feel like I haven't Mm. actually done anything to earn that bit of praise yeah maybe what was your favorite quote um my favorite quote was on page 222 where she talks about how she cries when she gets angry, which is something that mm, I do, yeah. um, and how um, how much it upsets her. And I guess like you, this was something in here that just really resonated with me because I do the same. And she says, no one likes an angry woman. She's the worst kind of villain, a witch, obnoxious, and ugly, and full of spite and bitterness, shrill. I do anything to avoid that feeling, anything to stop myself from being that woman. I try to make myself to make anything resembling anger seem spunky and charming and sexy. I fold it into something small, tuck it away. I invoke my most reliable trick. I project sadness, something vulnerable and tender, something welcoming, a thing to be tended to. Um, But I just thought that was so true. Like no one likes an angry woman. And is that why as women, we do have a tendency to cry when we get angry at least I do and it's not something I do willingly um I then get really angry at myself for crying and yeah and then I'm like no I'm not crying because I'm sad I'm crying because I'm really really angry yeah I um, find my angry crying is when it's a specific type of anger and it's when there is injustice or like I feel like something is very unjust and mm. that is when I cry when I'm angry it's like mm. very specific yeah yeah but men don't. They just get aggressive. No, men need to cry more. I men highly recommend it. More. Yeah, it's so great. When you have one of those cries where you've like held a tissue in your hand for ages, it gets all scrumpled. I really enjoy that <laughs> really afterwards. Warm. And then afterwards you keep doing those deep breaths <laughs> and you're like, mm, damp tissue in my hand. <laughs> no other really feeling like it. <laughs> it really is. After you've had a good blub, afterwards you're like, oh my God, I just really needed that. Yeah. And it, you feel like something has just left your body that you were holding onto that you didn't need. Yeah. And then afterwards, everything just seems much better. You actually then More sometimes hopeful. feel a bit silly for crying because you're like, actually, yes. the problem is not that bad. No. And you just yeah. needed to have a cry to know that. Yeah. Yeah. Big fan of a big cry. <laughs> big fan <laughs> of a big cry. And a big fan of this book. I think she's... From the sounds of all these podcasts, which we'll put in the show notes because I keep mentioning them. Yeah, good idea. She, um, 
she's really scared about backlash from this book because of course yeah. she's going to get some because she gets backlash for an Instagram post. Anything. Like she she posted a picture after giving birth and everyone was so annoyed at how thin she was after giving birth. Like, <laughs> leave God. her the fuck alone. <gasps> so she's rightly really nervous about this book. But yeah. I do think she's not trying to... She's just sharing her thoughts and she shares them really eloquently wow. and and I thought it was great. Yeah. I High reco. Honestly, such a high reco. I'm going to be, I've already started recommending this to so many friends and colleagues um, and I don't even know how to describe it and I don't want them to judge it in advance. I'm like, I know what yeah. you're thinking. A model's written a book about how, about her body and how pissed off she is about her body, like how everyone know yeah she's um, pissed off that she's so beautiful (laughs) yeah like wow but it's so much more than that yeah yeah it is just so so moving and even Lena Dunham has a quote on it on the back about how much she fucking loves this book and she's a hard woman to please so Mm. there you go I will be surprised if I see negative reviews yeah I mean if you negatively review this book you may as well put your hand up and say I support the patriarchy <laughs> right you heard it first <laughs> just to, for anyone who's thinking of doing this dirty on Instagram yes yeah, so we'll be thinking we'll, we see it <laughs> <laughs> the theme for this month's books that matter box's main character moment includes a hardback copy of the startup wife by Tamima and Nan it's also full of lots of goodies. My favourite being the socks that say main character moment. And I like to strut around the house in them. So if you'd like to win a box this month, there are two ways to enter. If like me, listen on Apple Podcasts and subscribe, leave a rating and review and use your Instagram handle as your nickname on the review. Or if like me, listen on Spotify or anywhere else, then follow the podcast on that platform and screenshot and share on your Insta tagging at Book Records for your entry that way. Entries for the November box close on Monday the 29th of November and will be announced on our Instagram on Wednesday the 1st of December. If you're listening to this at a later date, then don't worry, it's a monthly competition, so still enter and we will count your entry towards whatever box it is at the time. Thank you so much for listening. See you next week.